the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Goodbye, Mr. Potato Head. That's right. They came from Mr. Potato Head. Hasbro, the, the company that's been making them for 70 years, announced today that in order to be, of course, more inclusive, the name has been changed to Just Potato Head. Actually, not Just Potato Head. That would be kind of dumb. It's Potato Head. And no comment as of yet from Mrs. Potato Head, but apparently she was canceled too. Uh, Mr. Potato Head was around when I was a kid. I, I never really got into him. I don't know if it was because I was never into potatoes or if I was just you know lucky enough to have toys that were you know fun to play with. Hasbro says it will release a new Potato Head playset coming up in a few months, so we're all looking forward to that. And that's uh, going to let kids create their own type of families, including two moms or two dads. They can do that, uh, which would be nice for three- and four-year-olds. And, and Mattel, who makes Barbie, came out with a gender-neutral doll line two years ago. So Mr. Potato Heads and Hasbro kind of behind Mattel. But according to somebody named Ali Merchajewski, uh, who's the editor-in-chief at a toy review site called The Toy Insider, uh, Mr. Potato Head is setting a new standard. Uh, she quotes uh, Rich Ferraro, who's the chief communications officer for GLAAD, and he's thrilled. He says, quote, Hasbro is helping kids to simply see toys as toys, which, is, which encourages them to be their authentic selves outside of the pressures of traditional gender norms. Now, I don't remember in my rare experiences with Mr. Potato Head. As I said, I wasn't really into him, but I don't remember ever having any confusion about my authentic self when I did come across Mr. Potato Head. Uh, thinking back on it, though, I do remember on Halloween as a very young boy, uh, I was a little bit confused. I got Mr. Uh, I got a Mr. Good Bar candy bar. Now, all the kids in the neighborhood, you know, we, we had many discussions. Uh, a lot We talked about it a lot. We argued about it. Why there wasn't a Mrs. Good Bar or why it wasn't just known, of course, as Good Bar. So some of them got pretty heated, those arguments. We really got into it over that. You know, Come on, Mr. Good Bar, where's Mrs. Good Bar? It's just not fair. I think it's time that Hershey's uh, clears that up after all these years. And, of course, then there's Mr. Clean. Mr. Clean, that's the household cleaner. Um, I remember my parents sitting me down and, and, and trying to explain to me why there wasn't a Mrs. Clean. Uh, since I was just a kid and didn't use the product that much, it didn't seem to cause problems for me and my authentic self. Um, but, you know, Mr. Clean, it didn't seem to, it just didn't seem right. Whoever makes Mr. Clean should be working on a name change right now because guys and gar uh, girls and women and men, uh, they're going to be coming for Mr. Clean soon. This could be a good project for our former health secretary uh, of Pennsylvania, Aunt Rachel. The good doctor testified at a Senate hearing today. And uh, will probably be confirmed, if it hasn't happened already, as Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Services. Even though Rachel's a big proponent of mutilating young kids uh, and or feeding them chemicals to, uh, you know, change their gender at a young age. In our second half hour, you'll hear the non-answer to Rand Paul's question about all that. Uh, can't happen today. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk to a political science professor about racist math, Mr. Potato Head and hate crime hoaxes. Stick around. Over 10 years ago, we realized how important saving family memories was, and we wanted to help. Legacy Box started from that passion and has now helped over 850,000 families digitally preserve their film reels, VHS tapes, and photos. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Adam. 
What started with the two of us in a garage is now over 200 trained professionals. Legacy Box is a safe and secure way to put all your favorite family memories on an easy-to-view digital format like a thumb drive, DVD, or the cloud. We ship you a sturdy Legacy Box to fill with all your outdated media, safety barcodes to track your items throughout the process, and a prepaid mailing label. Legacy Box has been featured by Good Morning America and the Today Show. Not bad for two kids in a garage. That's true, Nick. And here's the best part. We always wanted to make it affordable to preserve your entire collection. So we are offering 40% off. Go to LegacyBox.com slash LBOX to take advantage of this exclusive offer. That's LegacyBox.com slash LBOX to save 40%. LegacyBox.com slash LBOX. This is Dennis Prager along with my fellow host Mike Gallagher. We both want to invite you to join us for a trip of a lifetime to the Holy Land this October 27th to November 5th. I've been all over the world, but I can never get enough of the great state of Israel. You will be amazed and inspired in your faith. Dennis and I have planned every detail minute by minute of this trip to make sure you have the best experience possible. We're confident by October our trip will be safe, especially because Israel is the leading country in the world in COVID vaccinations. Join us as we sail on the Sea of Galilee in boats that are replicas of the ones Jesus sailed in with his disciples. Walk the steps of the old city of Jerusalem and join us for a Shabbat service that will reenact the old traditions. It's something you'll never forget. Go to StandWithIsraelTour.com to reserve your spot or call 855-565-5519. That's StandWithIsraelTour.com. Aren't you ready to travel again? We are. So come join us. The following is a paid announcement. The advertiser was paid a marketing fee for a digital campaign. Please make sure to review our disclaimer on our report page. The new year is here, and the time is now to capitalize on the biotech stocks boom in the U.S. markets. Americans are hyper-aware of the challenges in our healthcare systems, and the total connected health market appears to be growing at an estimated 27.6% combined annualized growth rate that could reach roughly $188 billion in value by 2024. Get your free subscription to Avid Traders News today when you text the word BIO to 485. Find out which company is poised to lead the way in wearable and connected medical devices that collect, analyze, and transmit health information to track and prevent chronic illness. Text BIO to the number 48542 now to get this vital information delivered directly to your mobile device so you can make decisions as market conditions change in the connected health marketplace. Text BIO to 48542. Get your free subscription to Traders News today when you text BIO to 48542. Text the word BIO to 48542. It's the perfect time to add a healthy new habit to your daily wellness routine. Good nasal hygiene. We all know there's bad stuff in the air, allergens, bacteria, viruses, and that some of it's very dangerous. So what can you do to protect yourself? Well, you can clean your nose with Navage. Your nose is the body's air filter, and with Navage, you help your body defend itself by flushing out the crud and germs. I'm Martin Hoke, and I invented Navage, the world's only nose cleaner with powered suction. Navage is easy to use, affordable, and it has over 40,000 online reviews, averaging 4.7 stars. Join millions of Navage users to relieve congestion and allergies, breathe better, sleep deeper, snore less, and feel healthier without drugs. At Navage.com, CVS, Walgreens, Bed Bath, Target, and Rite Aid. You wash your hands and brush your teeth every day. Let 2021 be the year you start cleaning your nose with Navage. N-A-V-A-G-E. Clean nose, healthy life. Navage. The John Steigerwall Show. AM 1250, The Answer. I think you might have noticed there's a lot of stupid stuff going on out there. Uh, Most of it is about race and gender. And the federal government is right in the middle of it, of course. Wilford Riley is a professor of political science at Kentucky State. Uh, He's an attorney and the author of two books, Taboo, and hate crime hoax. He's been on the show before, and thanks for coming back, uh, Wilford. We appreciate it. Yeah, glad, glad to be on again. So uh, I wanted to talk to you about critical race theory uh, uh, being uh, in, in high, uh, taught in high schools and, and by corporations. But since you wrote a book about hate crime hoaxes, uh, this kind of came up today. I wanted to ask you about the story, if you're familiar with it, at Smith College, where a woman made accusations about being I guess you would call it racially profiled, uh, which got some people fired. And now we're learning that what she claimed wasn't true. What do you make of this one, if you've been paying any attention to it? Yeah, I've been paying fairly close attention to it. I mean, uh, Jody Shaw from uh, Smith is a good casual friend of mine. And, I mean, there's there's a lot going on there. I mean, I think that's pretty typical uh, goofy campus wokery. I mean, as you mentioned, yeah, I wrote the book Hate Crime Hopes. 
And the focus of the book is all of these incidents where people allege this extraordinary hate, the Ku Klux Klan spotted on the Oberlin campus and this kind of thing. And the incidents turn out either to be fakes, to be fictionalized, or to be situations where nothing happened at all. I mean, in one situation at Bowling Green University, the quote-unquote Ku Klux Klan was actually just a lab full of equipment that was covered with sheets and Bunsen burners and things like that. Um, the Smith College situation wasn't that crazy, but it was pretty close. I mean, it was a young woman that was eating lunch in a dorm where no one was supposed to be. There was some kind of program for poor kids visiting the campus during the summer that was going on there. Adults weren't supposed to be in the building. A janitor who had kind of weak eyes saw her, didn't know who she was. Again, young people around. Called the cop. The cop shows up unarmed, has a single polite conversation with her. And she apparently took pictures of both of them without their knowledge and posted these to Facebook as part of this long rant about how she'd been profiled, abused. Smith was a racist institution. Uh, the president apologized. The president apparently considered resigning. There was diversity training for the entire staff mandatorily assigned. The New York Times just ran a piece about this. So this is just more of this environment on a lot of the campuses where someone can say something that in most cases isn't true at all, and that can dramatically affect a whole bunch of just sort of regular blue-collar people that are there. And it turned out that, that nothing nothing uh, happened. I mean, it was I don't know. If, if it was, if it's determined that she misunderstood or that she purposely perpetrated a hoax and, and wanted to cause a scene. And she was, she said she was, uh, she said she was, um, accosted for eating while black, I think is the way she put it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think so. It, to some extent, when we see stories like this, it's a good bet that much or most of the time nothing ever happened. So, I mean, obviously there is racial conflict in the world. I mean, right. black Americans are sometimes suspicious about a mortgage lending or whites can complain about affirmative action or something like that. But the number of times as a white or black American, you're walking down the street and a random person of a different race attacks you. I don't know. It's happened maybe twice in my life. And I grew up in Chicago, you know, so very often when someone says something like I was just eating peacefully and these racists came up to me and started abusing me, a good first question is, you know, what were, what were the real facts there? And here, as so much of the time, I mean, the real facts were, you know, you're in a building where you're not supposed to be. Someone politely asked you, Hey, could you maybe move on? You know, you began to get very hostile with them. And this has happened over and over again with like the Sarah Brash thing at Yale, where, you know, so woman kind of alone living in, the building in this fairly urban area and someone follows her through the door, through a gate into the elevator up to her floor. And it turned out they were going to a party, but she finally asked, Hey, what are you doing? And that became branded as a racial incident because that would never have happened if you were an urban looking white or Hispanic instead of black guy. And there, there was a lot of question there. Like, why wouldn't it have? Right. Yeah. That, that's the, that's what I, oh, and again, I say all this as a white guy and I understand that I, it's impossible for me to ever even think that I could put myself in the position of being black and what a black person has to put up with. Um, but I think when I see a story like that, I say, wait a minute, you're, you're making the assumption that this janitor, uh, who I think ended up being fired or quit, um, that that if you had been a white girl, white student, uh, that he would not have, he would let you do whatever you were doing. And that that's kind of a, that's a pretty, pretty uh, blatant and strong assumption to make, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, I think the idea that as a white person that's non-racist, that's from an urban area, you can't understand the hell your black or Asian buddies go through. I mean, I, I don't really think that's true. I mean, a lot of this is just mathematical. So, I mean, one in ten people is racist. That's true across blacks, whites, Mexican-Americans, yeah. whatever. And they're slightly more white. So, I mean, you can say, well, okay, a black guy puts up with a bit more racial encounters a bit more often than I do. And I can measure how that would occur. And if I see that, I might intervene. But it's not as though there's some magical force that's out there that's stopping black people from going to the store or movie theaters or restaurants or anything like that. I mean, 95% of the time you don't encounter anything at all. And if you do, you just challenge it and move on with your life. So, I mean, in this situation, very almost nothing implies there's any element of racism to this at all. Again, the odds are probably nine and 10 that there wasn't. I would bet that Smith, in fact, is an institution that tries very, very hard 
for bias in the other direction, that it mm-hmm. practices probably pretty significant affirmative action that wants kids of color, quote unquote, to be very comfortable there. And as you said, this guy was punished pretty stringently. That's the flip side in a way that he never would have been had he approached, say, an Italian American young woman in the same way. Yeah. And uh, um, I, I, he I, I think I think he I think he uh, quit or, or was was just. He might, I don't know if he was fired, but he's, he doesn't work there anymore, from what I understand. And he, he was just well, a, a he was guy. He was suspended you know? for a while. I think he ended up getting another job because, I mean, it was – I don't know whether that was with or without pay, but, I mean, you have to work. But there there yeah. definitely were penalties throughout the staff. Like, one of the lunch ladies in the building was reassigned because she had noticed that this was not one of the kids she was normally serving. Like, there were multiple people that were investigated and assigned to diversity trainings and so on because of, quote-unquote, this incident. Yeah. Now, what what I was referring to is, you know, being a white guy. Let me just try to run that by you again. I, uh-huh. I read a story. I read these stories about um, that that math, the teaching of math, is racist. And I saw, I, I think it was out in California somewhere. It might have been uh, San Francisco schools, um, where they they're 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 going on and on about how the teaching of math is racist um, and it's, um, uh, it's it shows uh, influence of uh, imperialism and capitalism and all that stuff. And and so I can't. So I'm wondering. I'm thinking when I'm reading this, boy, if I were a black guy, I I I, I think I'd be insulted by people telling me that I'm allowed to say two and two is five because I'm a black. I is, is that right? I mean, because I know I would be if someone said that. Hey, you know, you're white. You don't. You know, we we have we feel sorry for you. So whatever you want two and two to be, just go with it. We'll 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 work with it. Because that's basically well, I, what they're think- saying. Yeah, I think there's definitely a risk to this. I mean, obviously, I support, you know, the Civil Rights Act, which says that you can't racially discriminate. I mean, for at least some time, there was probably a rationale for affirmative action. We can talk about race. But yeah, saying, I mean, the Smithsonian Institution of all all institutions institute recently got in trouble for this. They printed out these guidelines for employees that wanted to talk about race. And they put, they put characteristics of white and black culture on them. And the characteristics of white culture were things like intelligence, the King's English being on time, like delayed Mm -hmm. gratification. So uh, yeah, I tend to suspect that there are a lot of people that are upper class, mostly white liberals that kind of think they're doing good here but that have a lot of prejudices themselves against black Americans, immigrants, against some of these groups. And obviously the least racist thing you can say to someone is, you know, I expect you to compete about as well as I do. So, yeah, yeah I mean, two plus two is four. This actually, I was, I'm on Twitter again, and this actually amazingly became a debate recently. A guy named Kareem oh, yeah. Carr said two plus two can be five, and people started arguing about it. People started supporting him and saying it was racist to argue that it's four. So, no, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with the with the old rule there for math and a lot of other things. <laughs> yeah, and so so we're talking to uh, Wilford Riley, he's a professor of political science at Kentucky State, also an attorney, uh, author of two books, Taboo and Hate Crime Hoax. So, how is teaching critical race theory in high school and college uh, good for black students? Is it is it good at all? I mean, or is it supposed to be for white students? I don't know who it's who it's really supposed to be for. I guess it's supposed to be for the white students to tell them to shape up. I don't know. I think it's about as useful as teaching religion, except that there's slightly more of a chance religion is true. I mean, I, <laughs> that's a glib but sort of accurate comment. I mean, I don't think yeah. that the goal of teaching this stuff is to give people a life skill in the way that teaching mathematics gives you a life skill or teaching real American history gives you a life skill. You can take your wife and kids to battlefields later on in your life. I think that it's kind of priming you to believe certain things about society that make you more receptive to ideas that are mostly on the political left. So, I mean, if, if America was founded in, you know, evil horror, and that's why we don't have national health care, then how can we go on not having national health care? And this is 1619 Project stuff, Howard Zinn stuff. There have been consistent attempts in education, which is one of my fields as well as consulting business, obviously, to kind of backdoor this stuff in every 15 years or so. I mean, we are a wicked, evil, evil, wicked place, and therefore the solution is communism. Yeah, but and how is it that after electing a black president twice... Uh, we hear more about this country being guilty of systemic racism and and uh, uh, white supremacy than we ever did before 2008. I mean, I, I know I've heard more about it now than I ever did in my life. I've been around a long time. And, you know, we're not that far removed from having not only elected a black president, but reelected him. 
I didn't help. I didn't vote for him, but you know, lots of white people did. Well, I, th- I think that there's some real conversations here. Actually, the the reason that a lot of this stuff is so tempting to believe to some extent is that a lot of the gaps haven't necessarily closed. I mean, now financially, black people are actually doing pretty well, and other minority groups like Asian Americans are actually outperforming whites. But I mean, if you look at the black community, there are a lot of major problems remaining. Um, the out of wedlock birth rate, seventy-two percent. You know, average SAT score has gone up, but it's about a 950. Crime rate is still 2.2 times the white rate. So the traditional explanation for those things has been racism. And there's very little open public racism in the USA today. So the argument now has to be this Ibram Kendi argument. There must be subtle systemic racism. The teachers must be in some very complicated way treating black kids differently. The reality is there may be a little bit of that, but actually solving these problems is going to require getting into really tough politically incorrect issues like fatherlessness, like crime in the hood. These affect poor white communities too. A lot of liberal solutions are almost useless here. So, I mean, I think there are a lot of people that don't want to have that conversation. And so we start seeing these more and more ridiculous definitions of racism and sexism. Like they changed the gender of Mr. Potato Head today. And I don't think that's going to solve things in the hood. No, (laughs) I was going to get to you on that. I talked about that and opened the show. I'm I'm devastated by it. But um, what kind of uh, what, what kind of feedback do you get on this stuff from your students, black and white? Well, one of the interesting things is that like a mixed group of like college athletes in Kentucky or whatever views, a lot of this is just common sense. Like if I went into a KSU classroom and I said men are men and women are women, I think the percentage of people that would agree with that, although it's a great sympathy for people that have gender dysphoria and that sort of thing, would be close to 100. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that what you're seeing is a very small group of people. I mean, I don't like to overuse the term elite, but that are concentrated in the lower upper class, that are concentrated coastally, a few big cities that are really through tools like Twitter, tools like most of the mainstream media, kind of putting out ideas that most people wildly disagree with. I think if you actually went to a poor white area like a trailer park or you went to the hood and you said dads matter and we need to get some blue collar jobs back here, the percentage of local preachers and athletic coaches and so on that would agree with you would be 100 once again. But mm-hmm. the people that would be blocking that very often would be the people that would be saying the positive, politically correct stuff that, that we often hear on the airwaves. Now, uh, gender is also a big issue. Uh, our transgender former health secretary testified at a hearing today. Uh, that's Dr. Levine is up for deputy, deputy secretary of health and human services. And as you mentioned, it, it comes on the same day that Hasbro changed Mr. Potato Head to just Potato Head. Is any of this a sign of any kind of progress or is it just a sign that we're probably doomed as, as, uh, as a civilization? Well, I think that there is kind of a late, I mean, I read a book recently about the late Roman Empire, which was the period, you know, after they'd won all their wars and they didn't really have too much to fight for. They controlled most of Europe. So they spent a lot of time throwing orgies and figuring out how to dissolve drugs and wine. And they actually had the same gender question. There was a large effeminate movement. But I mean, essentially, I think that when you're a society and you don't have a lot of existential problems, you end up worrying about a lot of silly crap. Um... I mean, so without any dislike for this individual you mentioned, I mean, gender dysphoria is generally considered a pretty serious mental health condition. So, I mean, it, it is a bit odd that someone that, is, that has that condition would be in charge of health and health care for the USA. I mean, we're very often making these kind of symbolic statements to, to look good, to promote someone as, you know, the first of whatever group to do thing X and ignoring what they're actually going to do on the ground. Like, the number of transgender toys in the stores, once again, isn't going to stop suicide in Appalachia or murder in the hood or opiates or any of the real problems in the country. So I would encourage focusing on the real problems with COVID as opposed to this sort of crap. Yeah, well, uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, I I refer to uh, Dr. Levine as Aunt Rachel, and um, that is uh, we're going to have someone who believes in mutilating uh, kids and giving them uh, drugs, chemicals, to alter their gender when they're like eight years old. So I think you summed it up pretty well. It's one thing to make progress on uh, hiring someone 
and it's another of what they're actually going to do when they get the job. Hey, Wilford, I'm out of time. It's always great to have you on, uh, author of book, uh, two books, Taboo and Hate Crime Hoax. Hope to have you on again. Thanks. Hope to be back. Have a good day. Bye. Okay, you too. And we'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. President Biden marks a milestone of 50 million coronavirus vaccines distributed since his inauguration. The president says the benchmark is halfway toward his commitment of administering 100 million coronavirus doses, hopefully during his first 100 days in office. Republicans rallying against the Democrats' proposed $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief bill even as they do, lawmakers are awaiting a decision by the Senate's parliamentarian that could bolster or potentially kill one pivotal provision, the one hiking the federal minimum wage. Israel has begun easing many of its coronavirus lockdown restrictions, and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu hopes to fully reopen the country by April. Stocks took a pounding on Wall Street. The Dow was on 559. The Nasdaq down 478 points. This is SRN News. The far left controls the White House and both houses of Congress. But Alliance Defending Freedom wants to make sure they don't control your house. Religious freedom, sanctity of life, free speech, and parental rights. Precious freedoms that ADF will protect at the courthouse. With God's help, we have over 2,000 victories, including 11 at the Supreme Court. And because ADF is a tax-deductible, non-profit ministry, we provide our services at no charge to those whose freedom is threatened. We have a challenging 48 months ahead of us. We must be prepared to stand for freedom. Call 833-993-4377 with your most generous gift. Or visit adflegal.org slash freedom to sign the freedom statement and commit to help us sustain our efforts. 833 833- Nine nine three four three seven seven, or click adflegal.org slash freedom. Dan Proft sees a bad pattern emerging. It seems to me they're just trying to get back to full employment and say we're back to full employment, get down, down to a number that indicates full employment, 4% or something like this. And then, and, and whether that's a combination of people actually returning to work or people just stop looking for work because they're on the government dole or because they've given up, it doesn't really matter. We just need to get to that number. The Dan Proft Show. Weeknights at 9 on AM 1250. The answer. Sounds and sounds of fur. Our hairballs have hairballs. Our cat mama, she's 10 years old. She has dandruff and an oily coat. I have two cats, Zippy and Daisy. Daisy sheds like crazy. If you love your pets as much as I do, you'll want to do what's best for them to live long, healthy, happy lives. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. I just tried this wonderful, catalicious Dynavite for cats, and my cat has been on it for two weeks. She is not scratching anymore. She's not chewing anymore. It is just the best. I was thrilled when I heard Dynavite for cats was coming out because I had seen the changes in my dog. To introduce my cat to Dynavite, I took the advice from Dynavite and put their food on top of just a scoop in the bowl just to get them used to it because I know if I even switch one little thing, they put their nose up to it. There was not one problem. Dynavite for life. You won't believe how happy your cat will be. I-N-O-V-I-T-E These days, physical distance can keep us safe and healthy, but emotional distance can strain relationships, especially if drugs or alcohol are involved. If substance abuse or addiction is creating a barrier between you and your child, you may feel alone and you may not know where to turn, but we're here to help you and your family. Partnership to End Addiction offers free resources, guidance, and support. Just a click away. To End Addiction, start with connection. To learn more, reach out to us at drugfree.org. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. W223CS Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app. Smart speakers. Tune in. iHeart or Radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. 
Looking at congestion on the Parkway East, inbound looking slow into the Squirrel Hill Tunnel and County Jail to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Parkway East, pretty backed up. Boulevard of the Allies outbound to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Parkway West, not too bad. A little slowing inbound. Parkway Center Drive to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Westview area crash on 19 Perry Highway at Highland Avenue. And an accident near the downtown area, William Penn Place at 7th Avenue. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. Tonight we'll see partly cloudy skies. Expect a low tonight of 24. Tomorrow, sunshine followed by increasing clouds. Tomorrow will reach a high of 44. Tomorrow night, overcast and breezy with a little rain late in the night. We'll see a low of 38. Saturday, a passing shower in the morning. Otherwise, mostly cloudy skies with a high of 52. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. Well, I just saw something on Twitter from uh, my friend Bob Pompiani. It says that uh, Bob Kudzma has died. Um, I worked with him as a weatherman at uh, KDK, a really good guy. Uh, I don't know anything more about the details, but uh, condolences to his family. I uh, really enjoyed working with him, a funny guy. And um, a household name back when local news really mattered. He was it was him and um, it was uh, Bob and uh, Joe DiNardo were the two weather guys in town who were well they were household words. Um, so I'm sorry to hear that. Last I I saw Bob was uh, at a restaurant out in uh, the South Hills a few years ago, and he told me he was. Um, well, I knew back then he was driving a school bus. I think he was driving a school bus for Bethel Park. But uh, uh, sorry to hear that. Bob Kudzma, good guy, really good guy. Rest in peace. I'm going to look a little bit later when I get off the air for the details on this. Anyway, uh, getting back to the show, um, Aunt Rachel, our Aunt Rachel, uh, hit the big time today uh, testifying. There, she, there, there, there the doctor was in, uh, in uh, the Senate being asked questions about um, what, well, look, the, the, the idea is that uh, Aunt Rachel is going to be the Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Services. That's a, a pretty big deal, I guess. And um, Rand Paul, I don't know if he's the only one who had the guts to ask about this, but he's the only one I've heard, and here he is. Genital mutilation has been nearly universally condemned. Genital mutilation has been condemned by the WHO, the United Nations Children's Fund, the United Nations Population Fund. According to the WHO, genital mutilation is recognized internationally as a violation of human rights. Genital mutilation is considered particularly egregious because, as the WHO notes, it is nearly always carried out on minors and is a violation of the rights of children. Most genital mutilation is not typically performed by force, but as WHO notes, that by social convention, social norm, the social pressure to conform, to do what others do and have been doing, as well as the need to be accepted socially and the fear of being rejected by the community. American culture is now normalizing the idea that minors can be given hormones to prevent their biological development of their secondary sexual characteristics. Dr. Levine, you have supported both allowing minors to be given hormone blockers to prevent them from going through puberty, as well as surgical destruction of a minor's genitalia. Like surgical mutilation, hormonal interruption of puberty can permanently alter and prevent secondary sexual characteristics. The American College of Pediatricians reports that 80 to 95% of prepubertal children with gender dysphoria will experience resolution by late adolescence if not exposed to medical intervention and social affirmation. Dr. Levine, do you believe that minors are capable of making such a life-changing decision as changing one's sex? Well, Senator, thank you for your interest in this question. Um, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field um, with robust research and uh, standards of care that have been developed 
And if I am fortunate enough to be confirmed as the Assistant Secretary of Health, I will look forward to working with you and your office and coming to your office and discussing the particulars of the standards of care for transgender yeah, medicine. The specific question was about minors. Let's be a little more specific since you evaded the question. Do you support the government intervening to override the parent's consent to give a child puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and or amputation surgery of breasts and genitalia? You have said that you're willing to accelerate the protocols for street kids. I'm alarmed that poor kids with no parents who are homeless and distraught, you would just go through this and allow that to happen to a minor. I would hope that you would have compassion for Kira Bell, who's a 23-year-old girl who was confused with her identity. At 14, she read on the Internet about something about transsexuals. She thought, well, maybe that's what I am. She ended up getting these puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones. She had her breasts amputated. But here's what ultimately she says now. And this is a very insightful from decision from someone who made a mistake but was led to believe this was a good thing by the medical community. I made a brash decision as a teenager, as a lot of teenagers do, trying to find confidence and happiness, except now the rest of my life will be negatively affected, she said, adding that the medicalized gender transitioning was a very temporary, superficial fix for a very complex identity issue. What I'm alarmed at is that you're not willing to say absolutely minors shouldn't be making decisions to amputate their breast or to amputate their genitalia. For most of our history, we believe that minors don't have full rights and the parents need to be involved. So I'm alarmed that you won't say with certainty that minors should not have the ability to make the decision to take hormones that will affect them for the rest of their life. Will you make a more firm decision on whether or not minors should be involved in these decisions? Senator, uh, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field. Uh, and if confirmed to the position of Assistant Secretary of Health, I would certainly be pleased to come to your office and talk with you and your staff about the standards of care and the complexity of this field. Let it go into the record that the witness refused to answer the question. The question is a very specific one. Should minors be making these momentous decisions? For most of the history of medicine, we wouldn't let you have a cut sewn up in the ER. But you're willing to let a minor take things that prevent their puberty, and you think they get that back? You give a woman testosterone enough that she grows a beard, you think she's going to go back looking like a woman when you stop the testosterone? You have permanently changed them. Infertility is another problem. None of these drugs have been approved for this. They're all being used off-label. I find it ironic that the left that went nuts over hydroxychloroquine being used possibly for COVID are not alarmed that these hormones are being used off-label. There's no long-term studies. We don't know what happens to them. We do know that there are... Dozens and dozens of people have been through this who, who regret that this happened and a permanent change happened to them. And, you know, if you've ever been around children, 14-year-olds can't make this decision. In the gender dysphoria clinic in England, 10% of the kids are between the ages of 3 and 10. We should be outraged that someone's talking to a 3-year-old about changing their sex. Yeah, and you know what else you should be if you're Aunt Rachel? You should be really willing to defend yourself, not yourself, but defend your actions. If it's a wonderful thing that's going on here uh, that the good doctor is um, is selling, then why, when you're in a situation where you're where you're being asked in front of uh, well, in front of the entire country, ultimately, it's uh, it's on C-SPAN Live, and the sound bites are going to be available, and you're hearing it right here uh, on the radio in Pittsburgh. So. Anybody that wanted to play this back could play it back. Um, you're hearing that it's it's just wonderful. That if you, not you're not hearing it in the Senate today that it's wonderful. You're hearing from people uh, like Dr. Uh, uh, Rachel that, that this is uh, okay, and you know it's it's great for kids that they can make the decision. You have imbeciles like Joe Biden saying that an eight-year-old should have the ability to decide that uh, he or she wants to change his or her uh, sex, and it's and to not allow them to at eight years old to make that decision is discrimination. Why isn't uh, this? This should be something that Aunt Rachel should be chomping at the bit to to um, chomping at the bit to uh, to say this. She, she, it's 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 something that someone in this position should be 
looking for an opportunity to sell it. But that's the exact opposite. Absolutely no interest whatsoever in trying to, to, to sell the idea because 99% of the people in the country, if they were honest with themselves, know it's ridiculous. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, Dr. Rachel, going back a few years, um, according to this story at uh, PJ Media, uh, teaches pediatrics and, and psychology at Penn State College of Medicine, has given lectures on how to perform sex changes on children since at least 2012. That's according to the National Pulse, uh, a report from the National Pulse. Uh, and in 2014, Levine argued that adults should give children latitude to choose their genders. He coached adults, quote, try not to force them one way or the other. And in 2017, uh, Levine recommended cross-sex hormones for children in their mid-teens, According to a video of this speech uh, obtained by the National Pulse, Levine warned about the dangers of going through, quote, the wrong puberty and encouraged hormones to prevent the natural process of adolescent development. So this is a quote from Aunt Rachel. So what if you're going through the wrong puberty? What if you're a transgender young woman, meaning male to female, and now your voice is dropping, you're getting bigger, you're getting hair everywhere, and you're growing those testicles, and what if you're a transgender young man and now you have breast development? Your experience, it's terrifying. And, and then uh, Dr. Levine lamented, quote, that basically there was no treatment for individuals that were under 18 uh, under earlier guidelines. And now the idea is, uh, well, that's going to change, and Aunt Rachel's going to be right there at the forefront uh, in, in a position of power as the deputy health and human services secretary. And by the way, uh, the, the person who is, um, has been nominated to be Dr. Rachel's boss, uh, Bachera, he was asked point blank about his feelings on a partial birth abortion. He voted, uh, came out against the law to, to uh, prevent partial birth abortion, did the same thing that Aunt Rachel did. He was pressed about it. Why, why have you, uh, supported bar- partial birth abortion? Or why didn't you, why didn't you, uh, come out against it and the answer was well that's a very this just like dr uh levine there that's um that's a very complicated question senator and uh you know i'm I'm sure it's something that we can talk about uh if i'm lucky enough to be confirmed i'll I'll come by and we can discuss it it's not that hard to discuss it's we're talking about about partial birth abortion you're you're applying for a job here um, and we're asking you a pretty important question about your your uh, position on a pretty important issue. Why don't you just answer the question? Uh, and the thing is, I don't care what party you're from. If you're a Democrat, and and, and when a Republican does this, if you, if it's somebody that even that you whose whose um, nomination you're supporting, if you're a Republican and they don't answer the question, you should torture them until they answer the question or tell them to get lost. I'm not going to vote for you if you don't answer this question. And 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 whoever testifies in these ridiculous hearings, if the if the people running them had any sense or any guts, it would be well known to anybody who sits in that chair that if you don't answer a question, you ain't getting my vote, no matter which party I'm on. Answer the question, and it doesn't happen. So that's uh, that's where we are now. And uh, Aunt Rachel made the big time, and I. I don't know what the process is, but you can bet that the um, the nomination is going to go through. And uh, the United States of America will have to be subjected to looking at, well, maybe not. I don't know if uh, the, the person in that job is going to be seen that much. But anyway, uh, it's good to not have to deal with it here in Pennsylvania. I don't know um, how often we're going to have to be uh, dealing with Aunt Rachel as a national figure. Let's hope not at all. But anyway, that's the way it is. And the, the, the nothing that happened at that hearing today is going to stop the process. Meanwhile, uh, speaking of this, I have a lot of really stupid, stupid stories about uh, gender issues. Um, and this is a good one here. Um, this Well, this is a start off. One in six Generation Z adults are LGBT, according to this story in the Washington Post, and this number could continue to grow. Now, here's here's what you have to deal with. This is the Washington Post. Now, 
I'm going to read. I, I read this uh, quickly, uh, and I, I didn't realize what I was reading because of the pronouns used here. And this is the way it's uh, uh, written. Jasper Schwartz recently realized that nearly all of their friends are queer in some way. I, I thought I thought I had read Jasper Schwartz. Jasper Swartz and his friends realized that all of their friends were, but they're using the pronoun there for Jasper, who's one person. That's where we are also uh, on the planet Earth these days. They were eight years old when same-sex marriage, and again, as the first time I read it, I said, okay, all of these kids who uh, are now uh, among the one in six Gen Z adults who are LGBT were eight years old when same-sex marriage became legal in Maryland, but that's the way it's written. They were eight years old when same-sex marriage became legal in Maryland, about 12 when they realized they were attracted to girls, and 14 when they came out as non-binary. I thought when I first read it that I was reading about more than one person, but, the you know, you got to get used to this, I guess. They is referring here to Jasper because you can't call him he or she because he won't allow it. You're not allowed to, so... Uh, Samantha Schmidt, who wrote this um, piece for the Washington Post, is going along with it, and it's they. Anytime that uh, she refers to him, it's they. They attended a diverse public middle school in Montgomery County, Maryland, that taught lessons about sexual orientation and gender identity. But at this point, Jasper said, I was already familiar with the stuff they were teaching. Now, Generation Z... Uh, is uh, is far more likely than older generations, apparently, to identify as something other than heterosexual. One in six adults in Generation Z identifies as LGBT, according to a survey released early uh, yesterday from Gallup. Uh, and Gallup's latest survey, based on more than 15,000 interviews conducted throughout 2020 with Americans aged 18 and older, found that 5.6% of U.S. adults identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender, up from 4.5% uh, back in 2017. Um, now, you, they're wondering now, is there is it, they don't really know why that the numbers have gone up. Is it because uh, there's a real shift in sexual orientation and gender identity, or is it just because of a greater willingness among young people to identify as LGBT? I have no idea. What do I know? Uh, but I I would make my guess, and it would be that it's become cool to uh, identify as transgender or LGBT. Uh, not that it should be a stigma or that you should be beat up or bullied or any of that stuff if you if you are do come out as gay. But it's become it used to it, it's gone from being a stigma, which was wrong, to being celebrated and and glamorized, and that's where we are now. Uh, Philip Hammock a psychology professor and director of the Sexual and Gender Diversity Laboratory at the University of California at Santa Cruz, said the Gallup uh, findings are extremely exciting and are, are consistent with his own research about young people identifying as LGBT in California. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't find that exciting. I, maybe I'm supposed to. I, I, I don't. Uh, but uh, but. Uh, Philip Hammock, a psychology professor, says that these findings are extremely exciting. And uh, that's where we are with that. So uh, that's a little bit of transgender information for you. When we come back, I'm going to, uh, after this break, I'm going to tell you about something that's unbelievably stupid out in California related to this subject. Stick around. business is ready for a reboot, a recharge. The way our companies operate has changed. Adapting to the changes hasn't been easy, but never more important to succeed. Many of the digital resources available have helped overcome obstacles your business is facing, but are you using the full potential of every one of them? That's where Salem Surround can help. Your business needs to use digital tools more than ever to stay in touch with customers, making buying decisions right now and for the future. Will they consider or even know about you? 
The marketing team at Salem Surround gives you the tools needed to stand out and be visible to current and potential customers online right now looking for what you do. We'll design a plan that targets and surrounds customers with proven marketing strategies. Contact Salem Surround for a free evaluation of your marketing plan and see how we can help place your advertising message in front of today's consumers. Learn more at surroundpittsburgh.com. SurroundPittsburgh.com, connecting you with new customers. I have two dogs, Sam and Bailey. Both are golden retrievers. Poor Sam, he was a mess. Always itching. His paws were soaking wet all day from just constant licking. He had bald spots on his back. I just don't like putting shots and steroids into your dog all the time. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Dynavite is nutrition. Probably two weeks after he started Dynavite, I started seeing great improvements. And today, 99% of his issues are non-existent. It's amazing stuff. Since Bailey has been 12 weeks old, he's been a Dynavite dog. And he has zero issues today. He won't eat his food without Dynavite. When I get out the Dynavite, my dogs actually salivate. Like I'm getting them a treat. They drool over it. Dynavite is the best thing you can do for your dog. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. I get my Dynavite from D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. You're listening to the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. So, speaking of stupidity, here's here you go. California, where else? Uh, a bill would fine stores $1,000 for having separate boys and girls sections. Uh, this was uh, in- introduced by California Assembly members Evan Lowe and Christina Garcia. He introduced a bill that would require stores to have a unisex section for children's clothing and products in the name of inclusivity. That's uh, what they want out there. And... Um, the bill doesn't just target brick-and-mortar shops. Uh, California-based retailers would also be required to include a page on their website that presents the aforementioned products in a gender-neutral way with a section being titled Kids, Unisex, or Gender Neutral. And if that's not bad enough, just the whole idea of it, stores that uh, don't keep, that, that have the uh, nerve to uh, keep dresses in a separate girls' section would be subject to a $1,000 fine. Of course, the policy would only apply to stores with over 500 employees. So I guess that means you, Walmart. And also, uh, from the, this just in from the Babylon Bee, Iowa is mostly known for picking losing presidential candidates, but the state has other exciting attractions as well, like growing all our food and having jar-opening contests to stave off the long months until the summer's county fairs. But this year, one contestant is stirring controversy. Michelle Braxton, born Michael Braxton, is a biological male competing in the women's division. They got a picture of a guy with purple hair and a beard uh, uh, sitting next to a woman, and they're both trying to open jars. The male-to-female transgender contestant is crushing all challengers, opening jars with ease, while the biological female struggle to struggle to keep up. Michelle is clearly a biological male, and allowing her to compete in the female category in our world-famous jar-opening contest is unfair to the women, said Phyllis Barlow, previous champion. If Braxton were competing in the male division where he should be, he'd just be an average jar-opener, said one commentator. But competing against the women lets him stand out from the crowd of females who often can only open a jar with male assistants or one of those as-seen-on-TV jar-opening things. (laughs) I love the Babylon Bee. Braxton will also be competing in the female division in Iowa's famed Parallel Parking 500. (laughs) I love it. That's great. Rest in peace, Bob Kudzma. Good man. Good man. Always enjoyed working with him. I feel bad. Uh, A a great crew that I worked with. Ray Tannehill, Patty Burns, Bill Burns, Bill Curry, all gone. I'll talk to you tomorrow. The John Staggerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.